in Hebrews 9. And uh, what the Lord was saying to me is, listen to Brother Lynn and Jeremy coming down the road, and, and the Lord was really speaking in my heart. And then as we were in the song, song service this morning, He's really speaking in my heart. And He's speaking in my heart out of, out of, you know, out of the temple of God. And I was, you, you know, looking at Scripture in my heart of where I may go just to say what God was saying in me, but now even the first covenant, verse 1 of chapter 9, now even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and its sanctuary, a sanctuary of this world, for there was a, was a tabernacle prepared, the first wherein the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the holy place. And this I want you to focus your eyes on for a moment. The candlestick, the table, and the showbread, which is called the holy place, and after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holy of holies, having a golden altar of incense, and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was a golden pot holding the manna, and Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant. And above it, the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat, of which things we cannot now speak severally, this translation says. Now these things having been thus prepared, the priests go in continually into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service. But into the second, the high priest alone, once in a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. The Holy Spirit this signifying that the way into the holy place have not yet been made manifest while the first tabernacle is yet standing, which is a figure for the time present, according to which are offered both gifts and sacrifices that cannot, as touching the conscience, make the worshippers perfect, being only with meats and drinks and divers washings, carnal ordinances, imposed until a time of reformation. Well, we'll stop right here. What the Lord was really saying in me, and I heard this coming down the road, uh, uh, you know, Brother Jeremy was uh, talking about the Melchizedek priesthood. And Melchizedek ministered bread and wine. And, and it really struck my heart that he didn't just minister bread. He ministered bread and wine. And, it, and it's very important to see that. And when you go and you read of the, of the Old Testament, the tabernacle, the temple, and so forth, and you get into the candlestick. The candlestick has no light of itself. It's just a piece of furniture until the oil is applied to it. And that, and that was really what I, I kept hearing in my heart. You, you know, uh, in the Old Testament it says the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. And in, I don't have that scripture in front of me. I've got it somewhere, I think, in my notes. But it speaks that... But there's no illumination in man until you have the Spirit of the Lord. So you have, you have a candlestick there, and the candlestick, when the, when the oil is applied to it, it sheds light upon the showbread, upon a table of showbread. And there's two stacks, if I remember right, and you may correct me if I'm wrong, or you can correct me if I'm wrong, there's two stacks of six. 
and I, and I believe what you have in one stack is you have the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that what that light is see, showing, it, you're illuminated to, your spirit is illuminated to the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. On the one side, that He died, that He was buried, that He, was, that he rose, rose again, that He was seated, and so on and so forth. And on the other side, you have another stack of bread. And in that other stack of bread, when He died, you died with Him. That you're joined, there's two stacks of bread that you're joined to the Lord. And there's an illumination that comes to you by the Spirit of God to the reality of what He did in His flesh. So without the light running through the candlestick, the candlestick has no sight. Although all that is portrayed in that room, there's a lack of seeing. And, and when we come to the seeing, we begin to see the death, burial, resurrection and its effect upon us. I don't know if we understand that. When we're newborn babies in the Lord, our, the effect of the Lord's death is... is typically just a taking away from of sin, that He forgave my sins, which is, which is true. But, but that, that illumination of the heart, of, of our jointness to the Lord, is, isn't there. Do you realize that in the new birth? You don't wake up in the new birth and realize that when He died... You know, when you're first born again, you don't, you don't come and realize right there in the new birth that when He died, you died with Him. You don't realize that. That's not an immediate action that takes place in our hearts. That comes from eating the bread. As we are partakers of the bread, there's a realization of His death is our death. His burial is our burial. His resurrection is our resurrection. His glorification is our glorification. There is a realization that comes in our heart that what applied to Him applies to us. And yet, as great as that room is, there's yet another room. So, so, so we, so Melchizedek come feeding them bread and wine. See, without the wine, there's no illumination. You, you, you eat the bread. It's, that's why the Word of God, in the natural sense, without the Spirit, the wine is speaking of the Spirit. And, and as, as I sit here, I can just see in the Lord Jesus. I can see. In him, in him bodily, as he walked the earth in the bodily form, in the flesh, in him was the Word and the Spirit. The bread and the wine were both contained in that man. You can hear that. It was the bread and the wine contained in him. And he didn't just give us the bread. He didn't just say, eat my flesh. He said, unless you eat my flesh, and you drink my blood. You have no heart to me. Amen. 
to eat his flesh. And I have to drink his blood. I have to participate in the Word and the Spirit. And that's, and that's what Christianity, a lot of Christians will participate in the Word, but not the Spirit. They'll leave the Spirit alone. And they'll try to understand the Word, or they'll try to even make it work. And, the, and it won't work. It won't even work in them correctly without the Spirit. Both have to be applied. So it's not an application that can be just Word or even can be just Spirit. But the Word and the Spirit, Melchizedek ministered both you know, bread and wine. So life came through the bread and the wine. So we have to eat His flesh and we have to drink His blood and partake of Him in that way. And that, and to me, that, that candlestick really speaks of, of, of us. But we have no illumination until the oil begins to flow through the candlestick. And so the oil is where the light comes from, and the light comes out of the candlestick. And speaking of out of us, the illumination comes out of us, but without the oil flowing through it, what would you have? You just have a piece of furniture, right? You just stick in a piece of furniture with no light there. Because the substance of the oil, and the oil is also speaking of spirit. So if I don't have the substance of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit flowing through me, I have no real illumination of the Lord. I'm just walking around without illumination. So I can't just eat the Word and not give my heart to the Spirit of God. I have to allow both to work in me. Because it is the Spirit that gives the illumination of the Word. See, see, I can't know everything Jesus said or everything Jesus did. I'm just a... I don't, I don't like this word. I'm just a candlestick. I can't know anything. I'm just a tool. But, but what has to be applied in the tool is the oil. And then the light is cast upon the bread. You realize that? That's what you see in that room. You see bread. But if I don't have understanding of the bread, if I don't have an illumination in my mind, I just see bread. Why did God put bread in the room? Right? And unfortunately, that's where a lot of, a lot of, a lot of Christians walk, or, or, or religious people anyway, is, is they believe it's about eating, and, and I'm not trying to be mean, with a cracker or a piece of bread and drinking some wine. And I'm not against you doing that. If you do it in understanding, if you have an understanding of His body and His blood. But you can eat, you can eat all the crackers you want or bread you want and drink all the wine you want and have no illumination of the Lord. Wine or grape juice, whatever floats your boat there. I'll give you either one of them. Either one of them is going to illuminate you. 
because they're speaking on a greater understanding than wine or grape juice and bread. They're speaking of the broken body of the Lord Jesus Christ and what that body did to us. He had no need to break his body of himself. There was no reason for him to, to even become a man. He was God. Philippians says in the form of God. So, so there was a desire in his heart. There was a desire in God's heart. And we have to search out the desire in God's heart, you know, toward man. So God had a desire toward man. If he didn't have a desire toward man, he wouldn't have come as a man. He wouldn't have died on the cross. All that we're talking about wouldn't have happened if there wasn't a desire in the heart of God. So in God's heart, there was a desire, and we and and, and you know and and what's running through my mind in that is in the book of Psalms. And like I said, we're gonna we're, we may look at this in a moment. We'll see. But I'll quote a verse. He desired truth, at in the inward part. So when he made the man, he desired the man's inward part to be filled with truth. Right? So that was what his desire was. So his desire in man was proof in him. That inside of him, and so until you're illuminated to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you you really don't know what God's desire is, right? So so when I, when I look at those three Articles or those three compartments of the of the temple or the tabernacle. I could call it either one. The tabernacle. You have the outer court, and the outer court is in natural sunlight. And when and, it's, and I kind of look at that as as when we first partake of the Lord. We come in, we partake of the Lord. We believe in Him. We receive Him as our offering for sin, because that's what that speaks of. It speaks of His offering. That speaks of Him. And and yet, that is saying we have only natural illumination. And yet, I said this a long time ago, one thing he said, when it was separated from the world, it had a fence around it. Right? When it was built, so it was separated from the world, but it was still on the outside. It was still from a natural understanding, a, a natural comprehension that He died for my sin. And a lot of believers walk in that. A lot of believers have, have received Him as their offering for sin. But when they come, it's like when we're approaching the Lord. And I love how Brother Len Hiles taught this one time. The Lord had to approach first. But when we approach the Lord, that you had the one end of the Lord approaching, then then we approach through. We come through the house. Because if you go back and study the, the uh, Ark of the Covenant, it was made first. So in God's mind was always first the Ark, which represented His divine presence, but not just Him alone, because there were beaten into the sea two angels, two cherubim of glory, overshadowed, to see the mercy. So, so here God comes out, approaches man, and then man comes through 
what God has done. We receive the sacrifice. Oh, yes. So what he's drawing us to is the Holy Holy. And the writer of Hebrews says that the ways of the Holy Law cannot be made manifest while the first is just standing. And, 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 I, and I believe that writer has had the understanding there in that day, that he was writing a day when the first was still standing. The first temple was literally standing in the literal Jerusalem, I believe, when Hebrews was written. I think sometimes we miss that. The water won't come out when the lid's on. So, so anyway, we have a, a, a tabernacle and a temple that was standing when the writer was writing, but then it was that temple being taken away was also speaking of the way into the holiness, holiness of all being made manifest. See, but then that has to be taken away. Not only is it taken away literally, which it was, which it literally was, it's taken away in us. And it's replaced with the reality of our relationship and our union with the Lord. That's what it's replaced with. That's the holiness of all that you are one with Him. And what Jesus prayed in John 17, I believe, is speaking of the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Father, that they may be made one even as we are one. I am them now, me, that they may be, may be made perfect in one. Because that was one, if you go back and read it, and read the story of the ark, it was one meat work. One work. And it was speaking of pure gold in the divine, speaking of the divine nature of the Lord, the pure gold. So, so, so I can get a hold of it. What God is after, He's after a people that is His work. And that's what Paul says. You are His what? Workmanship. Created whereof? Of God we're at in Christ Jesus. So, so that work is the people. So, so that even that seat of mercy is speaking of a people, a people joined to the Lord, a people that are one with the Lord, a people that are beholding His glory and made into the same image. Paul would write in the book of, I believe, Corinthians, that we see the glory of the Lord and change to the same image. Anyway, that was in my heart. This morning, as the, as the song service was going, it just kept coming to me of the tabernacle and temple of the candlestick. So the candlestick has no illumination to the Spirit of God comes. So the Spirit of God is applied to the candlestick. There's no illumination. Now, some, some brothers say that this, te- this really speaks of being born again the outer court, receiving the Lord. Now, I'm saying some brothers say this. Okay? So nobody get mad at me. And being filled with the Spirit, being filled, baptized in the Holy Ghost, goes in the inner court, the illumination of the Lord coming that you can see the showbread, and then coming into fullness of life, fullness of understanding of the, or growing up into the knowledge of the Son of God. 
Now there's a lot of brothers that tell me I'm wrong. But that's not true. So some of the things we're going to begin to look at, we're going to have to depend on the Lord to show us. It's a good place to go, and it depends on the Lord. Allow the Lord to show us, because, because none of us sitting here today, standing here, I like to stand, but I like to sit, I like to stand. doesn't matter. None of us have all the understanding. No minister you'll come to has all the understanding. That's work. That's a big fallacy. So, so I can't rely fully on any one man to give me everything of God. I don't care how good of a teaching and understanding knowledge they may have. That's why God has a, a, a has ministries. And He speaks of ministries because we impart one to another. So there's an impartation of what the Lord is showing people, what's the Lord, that travels out of one vessel into another and vice versa. There's an impartation of the Lord. And that's the way it should be. See, see I, get, I get concerned with, with, with the groups. Uh, the, we call them groups, we call them denominations, whatever. Some of them don't even call themselves denominations. I get concerned because they immediately want to, to kind of trap it and say, this is, this is it. <laughs> Here, I got it. And here, follow this. And whenever we do that, I'm afraid we come to a place to where the growth that we're after, the, the heart, the, you, you know, our hearts at some place says, God, there's got to be more. Even when we're being fed with some, some real meat, we'll come to the place there's got to be more because there's got to be a continual flowing of God to us. We're, sat, we're, not, we're satisfied by the flow of God. That's what satisfies me. That's what satisfies you. That's what satisfies every soul is the flow of God. And if I cut off the flow of God, see, then, then I, I, I'm cutting off some of my satisfaction. But now let's flip down to John. And, and even when I say I'm not going to do it, I preach a message before a message. I determine in my heart sometimes not to do this. You don't know this. I determine in myself. I ain't going to do this. I'm going to come in. You, you, I, I'll just tell you what I do. I, I'm going to come in. I'm going to stay right in my text. I'm going to go right through it. I'm going to go boom, 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 boom. And I'll sit and tell myself that. And then I'll come in and, uh, and, and the Spirit of the Lord start dealing with me. And, and I guess the Lord's saying to me, Wayne, not so. That ain't the way I work in you. I may, you know, and the Lord may work in somebody that way. But, but you know, sometimes I, I, I listen to other brothers, and I, and I honestly, and you don't know this about me, I go, well, I wish I was more like that. I do. That's the truth. Huh? But you can't. You've you got to flow how God flows in you, and that's how you have to flow. And, and that's, that's what you have to do. So I have to learn that sometimes. And I, I had determined this morning, I'm going to go to my text and we're going to go through these. And maybe the Lord's just showing me, no, son, it just won't work the way you want it to. 
Anyway, turn over to John chapter 1. So 143. you got to love Old English. Either, it, both the American Standard and the King James are in Old English, so they both read a lot of things very much the same, a little bit different here and there. But you got to love it. On the morrow. A lot, of, a lot of kids, if we read out of the Old English, they don't even know what's talking about. On the morrow. He was minded to go forth into Galilee. And he findeth Philip, and Jesus saith unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, of the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael, and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets wrote. Notice what they said to him. I'm in John 5. Or John 1. <laughs> John 1. Philip findeth Nathaniel. So, so, we, so we find that Jesus finds Philip. Verse 43, Jesus finds Philip. And Philip's from Bethsaida of the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip findeth Nathaniel. And saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets wrote. Notice what he says. We found him. So, so, so they evidently understood the law of prophets. I mean, I mean, I, a few Tuesday nights ago, I really brought this out that when Jesus was dealing with them about the scripture in the book of Luke. It's also in the book of John, but in particular that night is dealing with the book of Luke. He was dealing with people that understood the law and the prophets. And, and I want to, want to give you an idea of this. And when he told them search the Scripture, and you've heard me say this many times, so this isn't new, he wasn't talking about Matthew through Revelation. He was talking about Genesis through Malachi. And, and, and it, this thing dawned on me as I was talking at Brother Stanley's house that... They didn't have the TV set. You realize that? They weren't entertaining their minds every night with the TV set. Most of them exist. In fact, they may have got a play or some kind of performance every now and then that they went to. It was probably a big event. Like us getting up going to the service. Something that we purchased on my service. So, but, but you know, like a big event. You go out, you got the guy coming in into the marketplace or wherever they had their performances. So when they're sitting around at home, come to my mind that their that their enjoyment, a lot of it, was reading. Okay. And they and and in so much that even the uh, eunuch, when you go into the book of Acts, what was he doing? He he was from Ethiopia, so he wasn't even a Jew. And what was he reading but the book of Isaiah? So, so they find him written of, of Moses and the prophets, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said unto him, Come and see. Well, let me show you. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith unto him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before before Philip called you or thee, 
When thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee underneath the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see, notice this, thou shalt see, mark this, greater things than these. So what does he tell Nathanael he's going to see? And he said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you shall see the heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Alright. Now we've taught on that. we taught on Jacob's ladder. I'm not going to try to rehash all that this morning. Maybe at another time we will do a little bit of rehashing here. But not this morning. So... So the one point I will make on that, which way were the angels coming? They were what? Ascending and descending. Our minds would say the angels were descending and ascending. But according here, it's probably opposite of what most people's minds think. He said the angels would be ascending and descending upon, how are they going to ascend? Upon the Son of Man. Just a thought. What does the Apostle Paul write? You are seated with Him in heavenly places. So did you ascend upon the Son of Man? Jesus said in one place, you, you shall be as what? The angels. Does He not say that? I think He does. And so, so the ascension upon the sun, you'll see the heavens open. And that's the part I want, want you to see. You'll see the heavens open. I want you to see your mind. You'll see, you know, it's was under the Nathaniel. It tells Nathaniel, you're going to see the heaven open. Now, Nathaniel may have thought, I'm going to see the sky far away. He may have thought that. But Jesus, if, 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 if what Jesus is talking about is what the natural mind says, then Jesus is a real tall man. Right? Because <laughs> heaven's way up there, and, you, and you're seeing them ascend and descend upon the Son of Man. Just, I know that I'm being common. But, but like our, the mind says, our mind, the reason I'm saying it, is, is tune in your mind to what's being said. Now flip over to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 7. Start at verse 51. I'll give you time because I've got it written right here in my notebook 51 Acts 7 51 he says here you stiff neck and of course this is Stephen talking to the Jews who's getting ready to kill him and he says you stiff neck and uncircumcised in heart boy he was pleading with them for his life wasn't he no 
He said, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. So where were they uncircumcised at? In the heart. So the flesh was up on their heart. They could only see by the flesh. You do always resist the Holy Ghost, or according to the translation, the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. You resist the Holy Spirit. So you resist. Get a hold of this. He said you resist. So you can resist the Holy Spirit. I don't care what people tell you. He's talking to the Jews there and he said, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Which of the prophets, verse 52, have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slayed them which showed before the coming of the just one. So they slayed so, so, you, you know, we're back there reading about uh, Philip and Nathaniel. And Philip's saying, hey, come see him that the prophets wrote of. Now here's Stephen talking about the prophets again and saying they slayed the, the prophets that talked about the coming of the just one, of whom you have now been betrayers and murderers. In other words, you murdered him. Not only they slayed the prophets, you slayed him. You slayed the just one of whom you have been now the betrayers of murders who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut were at to the heart. So their heart, they could have done two things when they were cut to the heart, I believe. They could have repented and received the Word, or they could have hardened it and gnashed upon Him. And what they did, and they gnashed on Him with their teeth. But he being full, notice, notice what it says here. He being full of the Holy Ghost. How did he look up steadfastly into heaven? The answer is right there in front of you. Being full of the Spirit. Being full of the Holy Ghost. See what Jesus said of the Holy Ghost. said, He shall take of mine, He shall take of me. And show it to you. So the way that Stephen looked steadfastly into heaven was through the Spirit of God. And he saw, the, and he saw, and he saw by the Spirit the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Now, now hold on with me a second. If, if the heavens were literally open, why didn't the rest of them see it? They didn't have eyes to see But if it was a physical thing, like, like, like a lot of people try to say, see, he's been, he's getting ready to get killed, right? He's getting ready to get stoned to death, and he looks up steadfastly into heaven. Now, he looks up with, what does he look up with these eyes? This is what we're going to get in a moment. Or does he look up with some different eyes? We're, we're, we're going we're to get into your, your Scripture, okay? And he sees the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open. And the Son of Man. In other words, I see the one you all killed. Because he just told them, You betrayed the just one. And now he says, I see the Son of Man standing in authority and judgment of God. I see the judgment of God in Him. 
I see him standing on the right hand, the power of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran up on him with one accord. I mean, honestly, we could take this whole section here and just go through all these different things of what that meant to the Jewish people. The right hand of God. The right hand of God. Brother Stanley did a great teaching on that one day. And we could spend a lot of time just looking on what that meant to the Jewish people. Because that meant more than just what, what our natural mind says. You've got to travel through the Scripture. Anyway, they stoned him. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears. Notice what they did. They stopped their ears. I don't think it's just these ears they stopped. They stopped their capacity of hearing God and ran up on him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen calling up on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then what did he say? And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. See, see, we, we have some people do things to us not near what they were doing to Stephen, right? And we want to we charge them, Lord, you showed them what they're doing to me. That's their heart. See, that's our heart. Because that's what we're going to say, our heart. The inner man of the heart. So, so when they saw Stephen, he kneels down and says, Lord, lay it up this Forgive them. They know not what they do. And God receives his I mean, that, that's a powerful, powerful understanding to get into right here, folks. And I know we're, we're looking at it a certain way today, but that's powerful to see here. It says he fell asleep. Now, turn with me to Revelation chapter 4. We read, we read some of these before, and I'm, I'm not going to read through every one of them for time's sake because I really want to try to at least open some of this up. And remember, we're going to see heaven open in John chapter 1. And what does, what does there... Brother John C. Heaven open. He, he says in chapter Revelation 4, verse 1, says, After these things I saw, and behold, what? A door opened in heaven. Now, does that mean he saw a literal physical door open somewhere up in the sky? So, so heaven's behind the door. <laughs> anyway. He saw a door open in heaven, and the first voice he heard, he heard the voice of a trumpet speaking with him and saying, Come up hither, and I will show you things that must come to pass hereafter. And he says, Straightway I was in the Spirit. So, so what happened when the door was open in heaven and he was told to come up hither? He said, I was in the Spirit. And behold, there was a throne set in heaven. So he sees a throne by the Spirit. He's in the Spirit. And one sitting up by the throne, and he that sat was to look upon like a jasper stone and sardius, and there was a rainbow round about the throne, like an emerald to look upon. 
And round about the throne were four and twenty-four thrones, and upon the thrones I saw four and twenty-four elders sitting, arrayed in white garments, and their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and voices and thunders. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And then flip down and go to Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. And I saw, notice this, I saw, John says, I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne. I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the back closed, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and loose the seals thereof. No one in heaven or under the earth or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look thereon. And I wept much because no one was found worthy to open the book and to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold. And even though he's seeing, he gets told here to behold. The Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, hath overcome to open the book and the seven seals thereof. And I saw in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders a Lamb standing as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, set forth into all the earth. And he came and taketh it out of the right hand of him to sit upon the throne. We'll stop right there. But I saw, John saw how? By the Spirit. He didn't just see out of natural eyes. He saw by the Spirit. Now, in John 3, and we've read this a lot here lately, so I'm going to quote it to you. We have the story of Nicodemus, and Nicodemus comes to Jesus when? At night, every one of us should know this. You should know this, Darlene. I'm picking on Darlene. Darlene, you should know this. Jesus came at night. And he came at night, you know, I, I think there's a spiritual reason for it, but he came at night so he wouldn't be seen of his brethren. So he'd be the Pharisees. Right? But he doesn't want the rest of the Pharisees to know I'm going to see Jesus. I don't care what you Pharisees think. I'm going to go out here and see Jesus. And when he approaches Jesus, he says, yeah, keep in mind, the Pharisees, most of the Pharisees are not, they're kind of anti-Christ. Maybe they're not kind of, maybe they are anti-Christ. Anyway, so, so here comes the Nicodemus to him, and he says, what well, he says, Jesus, I know you must be a God. Because no man can do what you're doing, except you be a God. I always love to love what Jesus says. But Jesus says, that, yeah, I think you, you got it right, brother. I'm a God. <laughs> you got it right, right? It's like, it's like the Greeks come and say, I don't want to see Jesus. You just, just say, yeah, just help come on in here and see me. Where's the one I mean, come on. He says, I, I, I know you, you must be of God, right? Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except you be born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What what kind of answer is this? If you really if you really think about it, what he said, Rabbi, 
We know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus says to him, except you be born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What kind of answer is that? Spiritual answer. It's the truth, yeah, but it's a spiritual. It, 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 it's on a different realm of Nicodemus. So he immediately speaks to Nicodemus out of a whole different realm. And he says, except one be born again, he cannot see. See, see the, the only way you can see into the kingdom of God is to be born again. So if, I, if I'm not born of God, I can't see of God. If I'm bo- only born of flesh, I'm trapped in the flesh. See, 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 it's that simple. I'm trapped in a flesh body. My mind is upon earthly things. Because I can only understand natural things because that's where I was born. Now, I'm talking about the internal me. I'm not talking about the external. But the internal you only understands that that it originates up. So it only originates the flesh, it only understands the flesh. And his whole life is built up on the flesh. And then it comes to a place where it's going to die. The flesh is going to die. And the heart, the inner man, is eternal because he's not seeing anything more. And he'll do everything, I don't care what, what you say, he'll, he'll pay every dollar he's got if he's a multi-billionaire, if he thinks he can extend his days on earth, most men and women, when I say men, I'm speaking to both, they'll spend every dollar they got for another day in the earth. I, I, I used to love, uh, and, I, and I've heard Lynn say some things like this, but J.W. would say something like, you know, people say, I can't wait to get to heaven. So just bring them up here. I would take a gun and we'll shoot every one of them and send them on their way. Something like that. You want to you go to heaven right now. If it's what you believe, but then you get into a crisis of what you want to do. You want to extend your life on earth. But now getting back in my text, you have to be born to see. You have to be born of spirit. You don't see into the spiritual realm unless you're part of the spiritual realm. Being born again means I'm now part of that spiritual realm. My, my birth is spiritual. My life is spiritual. And then he says that I must be born of water and spirit to enter into the kingdom of God. So I have to be born of water and spirit to enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again. The wind blows where it will. In other words, you can't see the wind. It blows where it will. And thou hearest the voice of it, but knowest not where it comes. And where it goes. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. You don't know where they come from the same way as are those that are born of the Spirit. You can't see it with physical eyes. You can't understand it. Nicodemus asked, he said unto him, how can these things be? So, so he's like, how, how can this be? Can I enter? You, you know, Jesus answered to him and said, 
Are thou teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? You're the teacher of Israel. You're a Pharisee. You're teaching them and you don't understand these things? Verily I say unto thee, we speak that which we know. See, see, we only speak what we know. So if my if my if I only know the natural realm, I can only speak of the natural realm. And I bear witness to that that I've seen. So if I'm only seeing in the natural realm, I can only bear witness of what I'm seeing. And you receive not our witness. If I told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? So here Jesus takes this whole new bird and he makes it heavenly. So so it makes the realm of the Spirit to be the realm of heaven, the realm of the heavenlies, the unseen realm. So the heavenly realm may simply be that that is unseen with the natural eye. It may be that simple. Okay, There's probably a whole lot more to it than that, but it it also may, you, you know, the start of this heavenly realm... So, so what, going back to what Stephen sees, he looks up. In other words, he, he elevates his mind. He looks steadfastly. And, and, and again, Psalm 51, creating me, I believe it's Psalm 51, where they cried out, creating me a clean heart and a contrite spirit. Love is worth being steadfast. Forget what you want. But look at that. And he says, creating me a steadfast heart, a steadfast spirit. Make me steadfast to your word, Lord. And here Stephen looks up steadfastly into the heavenly realm, and he sees the authority of Jesus. He sees the life of Christ. And into thy hands, he, he, you know, he, he commits himself into that life that's eternal, that life of Christ. And he prays for those that are bound in the earth. So he, he even has mercy to those that are killing him because he looks into the heavens. He has a heavenly vision. We talked about Paul and John having a heavenly vision. So did Brother Stephen. He saw the Lord. So... So we we come to this heavenly vision, and where do we see the Lord from? Flip with me. You know, I'm wanting to run. Flip with me to Ephesians 1. And what the Apostle Paul says here in Ephesians 1, and quite honestly, I won't do it for time's sake, but, but really you should read this whole chapter because... It goes together. But verse 15, Ephesians 1 says, For this cause I also, having heard of your faith, of the faith in the Lord Jesus which is among you, and the love which you show toward all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know. So how am I going to know? And and I was talking to Brother Stanley and Bob, and I said I may or may not say this out loud, and I'm going to. I've 
usually said, associate this to the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of wisdom and revelation. But I, but I'm, and I, and it's through the Holy Spirit. So don't get me wrong. So, so I can't know nothing, just like I said, as the candlestick. The candlestick couldn't know nothing without the oil. Or it couldn't show no light, have no illumination without the oil running through it, right? But I, but I'm not so sure he's not talking about your spirit. And he would give unto your spirit wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him that the eyes of your heart, your inner man, see, we, we, we've not dealt enough with the inner man. But there's there more than this outer shell. There's the inner man. What does God come to? What was born? Your, your, your flesh wasn't born again. Your flesh is going back to where it came from. From dust it came, and dust is returning. And we're watching it decay and wax old right in front of us. We can, we can kid ourselves. But but we can go look in the mirror, and we can go, I'm, you, you know, I, I don't look like I did when I was 25. Right? Because it's decaying. So our inner man was born. Something inside of us got born again. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And I believe that's what Paul's talking about, that the eyes of your heart... See, what does Peter call the heart? Flip over with me and, and keep Ephesians 1, because we'll, we'll, we'll come back here, but flip to 1 Peter 3. And I'm reading this not to beat up women. So, uh, but 1 Peter 3, 1, I, I want to show you something here real close. What? You're not, you're not this, you know. No, I'm not. Okay, put it on your armor. Hey, man, yeah, there we go. Put it on. Okay. Nobody's got any tomatoes in here, so uh, I won't get stuff thrown at me. At least I hope. In like manner, you wives... Be in subjection to your own husband that even if any obey not the word, they may without the word be gained by the behavior of their wife. Now this part takes the heart. Take this to heart. Because he's saying by your behavior, they'll be gained to the Lord. Beholding your chaste behavior coupled with fear. And that actually means reverence, that, that he's saying reverence your husband, that you're reverencing your husband. That's what the instruction Peter is giving to the wife, and that they would win the husband through their reverence, through the, through the godly behavior, through the life of Christ in them. But look at this. Who's adorning? Let it not be the outward adorning or braiding of the hair and of the wearing of jewels of gold or putting out of apparel. But let it be the hidden man. What? The hidden man. Where's the hidden man at? The heart in the inner incorruptible apparel, this version says, of a meek and quiet what? Spirit. So if I understand this correctly, the hidden man of the heart is your spirit. He's hid. He's in you. Your spirit. Not, not just the spirit of the Lord, but your spirit. So inside of man is his spirit. 
Now, maybe the Lord is certainly greater than this. You know, maybe I'm, I'm missing here. I don't think so. But maybe I am. Okay, so I'm, I'm open to being correct. So, so healing here is to you. And so until God kind of makes you real, that you're more than this outer shell, that there's more to you than this flesh, you walk around going to your flesh. That's what you're doing. In your mind, in your heart, your will, and emotion, everything's about flesh, right? So when, when the reality comes that there's an inner self, an inner being, Really, what what creates that reality? I think is the Lord. You know, you're conscious at times that, that everything you may lay in bed at night, everything going wrong around you, and so someone can see you. You attribute it all to right? You attribute all that to such a conscious awareness. But there's an awareness in you. I heard brother one time talking about the Lord taking out the clock and how the God moved and. He was laying in bed, and God moved him out of his body, and he came up over into, and he saw his wife laying that there on the other side of the bed, and God took him out to a fence post or a fence line and showed him a hole in a fence. And I think he went the next day or, or some days after to that fence, and sure enough, there was a hole in the fence. And so, so God was bringing an awareness of the inner man. God wants to bring an awareness to you of your inner man. Because this is the faculty you know God with. You can feel God on the outside. You can. You can feel Him on your your flesh, on your outer man. But really, where we really feel God at, where we really know God at, is in our inner man. And, and so when I look at this in Peter, he says here that meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God. Where's that meek and quiet spirit at? In God's sight, a great price. But it's in God's sight. So, so here, so, so you can go all the way back to your Bible and you can question, start asking questions to the Lord. You can start questioning the Word. So when God dealt with Adam in the cool of the day, was He coming to Adam's physical presence? Or was He coming to Adam's spirit? See, because we've had this in our minds, and maybe, maybe you all are way beyond me and you haven't had it in your mind. We've had this in our minds almost that God is coming to Adam physically, right? So could it be simply that God was even back there when he come down in the cool of the day, he was coming to his spirit. And and what what do we try to do with God and the inside? Have you never tried to hide from God inside of you? Have you never resisted God even after you were born again? I know you have. Right? We have, right? We've tried to resist God. And we've tried to, to maybe not show God our mess. And this has been an inner thing. This is inside of us. Because there, there, there has to become a reality of us that there is in us. 
There has to. Because then how can we ever come to the reality that I am crucified with Christ? If there's no I in the business, how do I ever come to the reality that His death is my death? And it's more than your body because your body still dies. Your body still goes back to the dust. Your body still goes back. But it tells you that you're going to have life and have the bungalow. So what part of you is going to have life? So that inner part, that hidden man of the heart. So that's why I believe Paul was talking about when he prays in Ephesians that the eyes of your heart be enlightened. That, that you would have the spirit of wisdom and the revelation and the knowledge of Him. I, I believe He may be praying about your spirit, that your spirit be enlightened in the wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. Now, if your spirit's enlightened, it's only enlightened by His Spirit. You can't get enlightened by yourself. But you have to be enlightened. You have to know that you would know what the hope of His calling is. See, that's what we've been saying for years. They don't know the hope they're calling. See, Christians don't know their hope because their hope is all predicated, or most Christians' hope is predicated on seeing mom and dad in heaven. It's not that they're going to the Lord, but it's based upon another principle. And when I come to the hope of His calling, I begin to be illuminated in that He called me out of darkness into His marvelous light and has made me one with His Son. I begin to be illuminated into the reality of the work of God in Christ. See, flip back there to Ephesians 1. He says, that you might be enlightened, that you might know are you there? Ephesians 1, verse 18. Have the eyes of your heart enlightened. The eyes of your heart. Seeing. Remember? They saw. What did they see with? Did they see with physical eyes? Or did they see with their heart? The eyes of your heart be enlightened that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints of what is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward who believe. How many know the exceeding greatness of His power? How many believers are walking around saying, let me tell you about the exceeding greatness of the Lord's power to us? I hit you, this You don't hear that, do you? Let me tell you about the exceeding greatness of the Lord to us. That He wrote in Christ. Not, what do you mean, the greatness of His power? That He wrote, that the work that He did in Christ, which He wrote in Christ when He raised Him from the dead. That's the exceeding greatness of His power toward us that when He was raising Jesus from the dead. That's toward you. and made Him to sit at His right hand in His authority in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And He had put all things in subjection under His feet and gave Him to be the head over all things to the church, 
which is His body, the fullness of Him that filleth all in all. You can stay here for years in this couple verses of Scripture and just study the fullness of Him. Church is his body, the fullness of him. That that that's what Paul was praying that they see that when 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 Jesus came up out of the tomb, you came up out of the tomb. He raised you up and made you sit with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. My Lord, that in the ages to come, that through the church might be made known through what? The church. The manifold wisdom of God, the multifaceted wisdom of God, might be made known through the church. But why is it through the church? Because the church is his body, his fullness. Because he's coming in his body. Yeah, he's coming again. It's just where he's coming at. He's coming in the body He made Himself. And the body He made Himself is called the church. So when He raised from the dead, so did you. So so the power of God is that when He died, Paul said, I died. And then Paul writes to the Ephesians, you are quickened, you are made alive with Him. So when he was quickened from the dead, you were quickened. And, and that comprehension's got to come. Now, now I don't live by myself. My, my life is him. I, he is my life. He becomes my life, but yet I live not I, but he lives through me. So my life is him in me. So I have eternal lives in me because He now is my life. And He not only wants the reality of that to be in my spirit, He wants it to come into my soul and ultimately through my body in the earth. Do you not see the life of Christ coming through Stephen? Do you think Stephen in himself would have just laid down himself and said, Lord, hold them not guilty? Do you not see that that was the life of Christ flowing through him from into his literal body out into the earth? Amen. See, that, that's the glory of this thing. Is, is we don't just have it in, in this spiritual realm. We have it in the spiritual realm. I can't get it to work in the natural realm unless I understand it in the spiritual realm. I really don't believe I can. And I believe that's why some of it won't work because we don't understand the spiritual realm. We're walking around without a, with, with misconceptions and misunderstanding. So the Lord has been focusing us, focusing with us for some time about being born to see that I can't see unless I'm born again. I can't know. I can only know the realm that I'm in. And now now a Scripture, and I can and I, I see how much time i got left because I don't want to be up, just have to pick this up next time. But a Scripture that, that I looked at recently in Colossians, he says, set your affections on things above. 
Well, that doesn't mean 10 million to the sky, 10 million miles up in the sky. What's above is Christ. What's above is heavenly. What's above is is the heavenly man. I, I that word really caught me. Set perfection. And I started studying the different definitions of it. And one of the meanings is exercise of mind. You know, you know, we 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 tend to people like the book. Bodily exercise prophecy. Maybe the mind exercise prophecy lies. Because if we set our mind on things on the earth all the time, there's an idea here. And there's some truth in the idea that you're, you're in this because Christ is in you. There's some truth. But how do I know what I'm in if I don't set my mind on Him? So, so Paul says, set your affection. Exercise your mind on things above. Not, and it says not on things of earth. And we find ourselves, I find me, so I don't have to preach on everybody else, I find me exercising my mind. I love to sit down when I'm tired from work and flip on the TV set. Because I'm tired. I'm physically tired. And, and a couple hours of a cop show does me real good. The, but the fact is, I wake up the next morning and go, why'd I do that? Because I'm not setting my mind on things above. That's why. It's not to condemn watching cop shows or football or, or anything else. It's that we don't set our mind. We don't practice. It's, it's like, like in the spiritual realm, we think there's no practicing. And I'm, I'm going to close here and we'll have to pick up. You can read on in 2 Corinthians 4. I've got, uh, you know, Psalm 51 I quoted. I've got a lot of those scriptures. But I've been an hour and ten minutes and I want to fo- follow this thought through. So I'm going to close here in just a moment. We practice in the natural realm. You realize that? Like, like Dave and Anita, Anita walked out. Dave and Anita are performers. They're good. Dave's a really good drummer. But Dave knows if he doesn't practice, what happens to your ability? It goes down too, right? But you, you can get it back through what? Practice. So if I begin to practice in the Lord, let my faith see. Ask not. Then, maybe there's some ability of the Lord that has become real in me. Right? Because, because I've, taken, I've taken an effort to see the Lord. I know no good thing dwells in me. In my plan. That is my plan. And i got a real good thing dwelling inside of me. And his name is Jesus. So, so I can move. I can move myself out of this realm. I, I, I don't know how many times you, you you may say no. You can't move yourself. I don't know how many times Paul says mortify, and Paul speaks of, of you doing something. You doing something, right? So he's he's dealing with you. Well, I know in my in my own effort, I can't get it done. I know that. 
so, so how do I have to do it? Does it mean I have to set myself before the Lord? I have to become, you know, my, my inner man has to become real in God, or God has to become real in my inner man. So, so somewhere I have to figure out I got an inner man. That he saved me. Right? He saved me. See, see, I got saved. We, we said that as newborn babies. I got saved. The Lord saved me. We just didn't know what me was. The inner man of the heart. The hidden man of the heart. Now, I'm not so sure that he, I'm telling you, when you go back to Genesis, when it says he made Adam in his image and likeness, he wasn't talking about the inner man of his heart. You know, more than the outward shell because, because their mind came right upon Adam being made and Adam looking like God and all these things to the natural. But, but you, you know, we, and we've talked about that word image there, not meaning the exact, not meaning... I, and that, none of that's changed in my heart. I, I, I still don't believe he was in the divine expression of God. But yet he was made with the capacity and the ability... Because he came out of God's image. God breathed in him the breath of life. And, and to me, just kind of what's quickening me, and like I said, maybe the Lord will correct me and you can pray for me, is that breath of life was Adam's spirit, and that's what animated the man. And James kind of says that, not more than kind of. James says the body without the spirit is dead. So, so I, and I know you can put a spiritual application to it. But if you've ever seen somebody physically pass, and, and, I, and I have, their, their spirit leaves them. Something goes out of the body. And when it goes out of the body, when it's gone, that body is dead. Right? I, I stand in the, with my mother when she passed. I saw a uh, black brother down here in uh, Culpeper when he passed, and and he he really comes to my mind because I was right there with him, and it was and I told his mother, he's gone, he's 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 gone, he's no longer in that body, and we look at that body, but he's gone. But what what is? We get quickened with the Lord. We're made alive with the Lord. The inner man. And that's where he's, your life is in the inner man. And then he gives life to these mortal bodies. In other words, his life, as that awareness comes through our inner man, it goes out into the mortal. And his life comes through. And that's what you saw in Stephen. The life of Christ being manifested through his physical body. Anyway, we'll have to pick this up next time. Because I've been a long time and I'm trying not to be so long.